You're listening to the Film Comment Podcast from the Cannes Film Festival. On today's edition, Nadine Labecki's Kafarnam, Sergei Dvortsvoy's Aika, Matteo Garoni's Dogman, and Vittorio De Sica's Bicycle Thieves. But first, a word from our sponsors. This episode of the Film Comment Podcast is brought to you by MUBI. From timeless masterpieces to festival fresh darlings, every film is hand-selected. Try Mubi free for 30 days at mubi.com slash filmcomment for your extended free trial. Autograph Collection hotels are carefully chosen for their unique design, passion for craft, and an inherent connection to the locale. Each hotel has its own exactly-like-nothing-else story to tell. The Autograph Collection Indie Film Project supports independent film and celebrates the power of storytelling to inspire and connect people and places by leaving a lasting imprint. Autograph Collection hotels exactly like nothing else. The Film Comment Podcast is sponsored by Kino Lorber, presenting Bruno Forzani and Helene Cadet's Let the Corpses Tan, a deliriously stylish homage to 1970s Italian crime films soaked with blood, sun, and sex, featuring music by Ennio Morricone, in theaters starting August 31st. Uh, welcome to the Film Comment Podcast. Um, Coming to you live from the Con Festival. We haven't left. We're still here to the bitter end or bittersweet end. Uh, my name is Nick Rapold. I'm the editor in chief of Film Comet. Uh, and for this go round, I'm joined by Eugene Hernandez. I'm the deputy director at the Film Society of Lincoln Center and one of the co publishers of Film Comment. Uh, and we've been trying to meet for a while. So, but that just means that we have more movies to talk it's about. It's great to see you, Nick. It's good to see, good to see you, Eugene. Uh, good to have you. Pleased to be here. Um, so uh, this is this is sort of the part of the festival where, uh, yeah, you're sort of running on fumes, and you, you're trying to distinguish whether the movie you're watching, you know, paranoiacly, uh, is it in the end of the festival for a reason? Did it just take a while to finish? You know, is it a, a mercy killing? That's <laughs> at the end of the festival. It gets to the point where, when you're in this experience, you do think you start to think a lot about the yeah. placement of films and the order in which they're placed, and why do some play at the very it's such inside baseball? But why are some the first or second movies we see, and then why is you know why are certain movies the very last that we see, and what does yeah. that mean? What is the yeah? You start trying to get into the mind of the curator sometimes, don't you? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, I, I and. And I mean, the reason that matters, I guess, just so it doesn't sound too insidery, I mean, is because it's how the movie gets framed and that determines what 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 the hype will be or not. And then what people's expectations are. Um, and, you know, and then that has ramifications immediately afterward. Uh, and also, you know, for just if you're evaluating the festival and, you know, as we'll get into it, I, we saw a movie today that I thought maybe 10 years ago might have been earlier in the festival because of the kind of. I don't know, approach it was taking and, and, and um, still a good movie. But anyway, enough talking around. Perhaps we'll get into a, immediately into a film. Uh, Eugene, do you want to have Pick of the Draw? Thinking about some of the movies that we've, that we've just seen recently, one of the most talked about from many different perspectives is uh, Capernaum. So this is the Nadine Labaki film. An anticipated film, definitely. Um, who's going to take the, do you want to take the, uh, the reins and describe a it? A story, ha- happily. Uh, <laughs> so it sort of centers on, on a boy and the movie's very dramatically framed. And I think the trailer and all the press material also stated this premise that there's a child, he's in court. Why is he in court? It's because he's suing his parents. And why is he suing his parents for bringing him into this world? And that's that kind of wham, bam, sort of 
that's that's the, and you're like, well, what could have happened? What, how did it get to that point? Um, and then, you know, the movie goes into and actually sort of flashes back to the court periodically, uh, explaining that he's, you know, in, in a family with kind of a deadbeat slash abusive dad and lots of kids. Um, and um, and then, I mean, basically what ends up happening, he ends up being like a fostering um, like a, a, a toddler for a woman who goes working. Did I miss something major? No, this is a good. I mean, I mean, it sounds um, it sounds hilarious when you because a different version of this movie yeah. is like a premise for a sitcom or like it's true, a yeah. TV series, which is like yeah. this kid who ends up, as you said, fostering I, yeah, I this twelve-year-old kid ends up fostering right. a one-year-old toddler. Yeah. Um, the movie, as you as you said, it flashes back to reveal sequences or scenes um, or moments yeah. that eventually always take us back to this courtroom and this right. this lawsuit. Yeah, yeah, um, and that and it's hardly hilarious. But no, it's not at all. Yeah, I don't. I I, I didn't. I, yeah, definitely. I don't think there's a comedic. Well, if there's a comedic moment in the movie, it's just in in the kind of brashness of this twelve year old kid yeah. who is just. To start on a positive note, one of the most or the most refreshing oh, yeah. discovery on screen, probably the entire festival. Yeah, uh, I, at least I, from my perspective. Yeah, he was he's something special. I mean, he's like uh, I don't know. I'm thinking of past like kind of because he's a non-professional. I think she mainly casts non-professionals in this film. It evokes uh, some of the kids in or, or like a kind of performance you yeah. see in 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 uh, Jonas Carpignano's kind of trio of films right this just like this young this young kid at the center yeah. who just seems like he's fully formed is almost like an right. adult in a 12 year old's year old's body right. and then he's <laughs> nearly upstaged by this one-year-old toddler <laughs> who's also right. delivering actually some some warmth and some laughter at, at times in his sort of ability to seemingly respond to yeah. other actors and the camera and scenes around him like he seems like he's taking direction from yeah. characters in the moment, yeah, yeah, in a way that are that's kind of alarming. <laughs> yeah, it, it it is, and 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 he has this beautiful sort of round, very expressive face, and um, it's and it's with all, yeah. very little dialogue, these there, two yeah, no dialogue, these yeah, two kids, him. this twelve year old and this one year old, become like this kind of like this buddy, yeah, yeah, buddy duo, <laughs> yeah, yeah, that I, is is hardly leading towards a comedic end, um, but but is like in a completely unlikely kind of. Um, bond that we yeah. see building, right? Yeah, and you know, as we're talking about and and how it is, you know, comedic, and he's brash, and he's you know bratty, but he's not. He, I want to I want to underline he's not the kind of annoying smart aleck kid. Probably because he's just like he's he's so like sh- sharp and brutal <laughs> in, in in how he says things. He's not saying it for effect. I mean, he's like he. It's like he has already lived. And lifetime is like this and has no patience for any of this. Well, and, and perhaps to take it to a more serious level to really get into the meat of the film, he's a kid who who is portraying a character in a world that feels completely hopeless. Uh, as I think the father character says at one point in the film to his whole family who's in this room, packed in this room in this little apartment, like, we don't matter. Like, the, no one cares about us. Right. They are like on the margin in this world and nobody really, and that's part of what the struggle in the movie is, is really like they're kind of hanging on by a thread financially, emotionally, like they're constantly like on the run, if not literally figuratively, like it's just, there's. Yeah. 
Yeah, it's it's just an endless, I mean, hustle and and uh, endless, um, you know, shoestring margins, every, every every everything you want to come up with, and and I guess that what you're so impressed with is that he is taking care of the kid, the twelve year old is taking care of the one year old, uh, and uh, and you know you don't really expect that. Um, um, I mean, one thing I, I found interesting about that character is that he's kind of at odds with the, I don't know, the larger approach of the movie in some ways, um, which I, you know, I did have a, have a bit of a problem with. Um, and I think we probably both did a little this, the, I don't know what to call it, but it just feels like there's an orchestra packed into every room you're, you're in and it's just going at full blast at all times. It's just this score that's heavy handed and is underlining every emotion and sometimes just I have to just say, honestly, seems like mixed too loud. Even like it's just, it's just like you, you couldn't ignore it if if you wanted to. Um, and but what's strange is you have that, and then you have a kid who's like sarcastic and cynical, and is in every scene is is not really saying what you're expecting him to say because he just thinks it's all it's bullshit. You know, even to the very act that he commits, you you don't actually think that he, he will do it. You know, the reason why he's 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 um, he's in jail. Well, that's kind of the weird thing about the plot is that it starts with him in jail and then he petitioned the court from jail. So they take, they take him to court from there. Anyway, um, so he, it just seems like he, he has this harsh realism to his outlook that the movie itself is at pains to somehow, I don't know, temper or make sweeter somehow, or I don't know. But you, you were talking weird before the podcast, Eugene, you were talking about it in an interesting way about how that, that's working there, the music. It's, it's a fascinating choice that that the filmmakers making with this movie because i think that it is if there is anything that that ultimately and is it what nearly two hours or is it a little over two it's a little over two i even think it was longer than it was listed as so 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 you're on a ride and and you get to a point where um the kind of cumulative effect of not only like the peril that all of these characters live in and the daily survival that this 12-year-old kid and his and his his foster child this 1-year-old kid who he's who he's left to take care of uh for reasons that are kind of revealed later in the film right. um but but for a, for a good chunk of the movie it's really the two of them against the world out on the streets trying to trying to survive and the experience of watching what they're going through on a kind of daily or even minute to minute basis to try and survive is harrowing enough, yeah. I think. And again, the cumulative effect of all of these experiences and encounters that they're having, many of which seem highly precarious. <laughs> like yeah. you're not sure if this movie is going to take the darkest turn at one point. Right. There are musical choices made with that orchestra in the room that you're talking about <laughs> that are, we're feeling a lot in watching this movie and the music is, is, is trying to get you to feel even more when there's not really from an audience perspective that much left to feel like <laughs> how true, much more yeah. can I give right. <laughs> to this movie that is already like yeah. pulling me into a That's world true. that is so again, harrowing. And so like, yeah. just, I'm not a parent. I don't have kids, but I'm watching and thinking like, yeah. A twelve-year-old kid and a one-year-old kid, like on the streets alone, right. in 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 super chaotic, yeah, <laughs> like Lebanon, and and yeah. trying to just like and and trusting, um, trusting trusting the adults around them that they encounter and the other kids, the other street kids that they run into, right. um, to help them in their daily life. Like you're just waiting for something really bad to happen, and there's yeah. already it's already a bad situation that you're expecting at any moment right. could get a lot worse. 
And then there's this music that's that's coming in yeah. that's perhaps either poorly mixed at times and some of these yeah. montage there's montage like there it, are yeah. montage sequences that are used yeah. as part of these quote unquote flashbacks, although the flashbacks are the the real time effectively. Yeah. Um, there's montage sequences used to kind of to kind of move to the next kind of chapter in the right. story. Yeah. And it's often in those, especially towards the end of the movie, where the music gets really really noticeable. Yeah. I guess I would say. Yeah. It's also, I think, probably not not just the music. Um, I mean, you know, they're they're also just a, they're just scenes that are just played for a, like a register of emotion that's kind of sentimental. That that you know, like you're saying, undercuts what's what's already happening. I mean, I guess there's maybe a way of thinking about the music that is just being used in a different way than generally. You know, we're, we're accustomed to it. You know, at, at at a festival that you know where a story like this is usually told with a pretty remorseless kind of a, a, approach. I mean. Which will lead us to to another movie shortly. Um, a well, bit. well, this this is a movie that that I, I, and it it's like it, it's and it's how, like how much do we want to get into and go into? Right. Um, it's a movie that's going to have a life. First of all, mm-hmm. Sony Classics picked it up before the festival, right? And I mention that because that means it's going to have a real release in art house right. theaters. It will play. It will be something that people will be talking about when it comes out in December. Um, it will certainly play it, uh, play around. So people will right. have a chance to see it. And it's a movie that, that it already in my mind, like I thought of two movies that maybe are not compliments to this film, but, mm. uh, either compliments or compliments uh-huh, right. <laughs> and that would be Slumdog Millionaire and Born Into Brothels mm-hmm, because I sure. think that the way in which when you notice the hand of the filmmaker and the artist in telling a story that's already like deeply moving and emotional you start yeah. to question if only in some cases momentarily or maybe sometimes even more deeply right what's going on what's really going on why yeah and yeah I mean, uh, it, it, yeah, Slumdog Millionaire is, is, is an interesting comparison as well because, you know, there you have a British director in, in Danny Boyle going into another kind of milieu in another country and uh, telling us a story of, of, of hardship and resilience and, and, and misery. Uh, and in this case, I mean, this is kind of Labaki in, in her role as almost like a, this, this kind of spokesperson, you know, representative, uh, giving a voice you know, and like in the press kit, it's, you know, every other answer is, is very much about that, doing that, um, which complicates it in, in a way because, you know, <laughs> that's maybe one way that Slumdog got dismissed a little, that it was kind of riding some other people's <laughs> misery to prestige. Um, and in this case, you know, I, I guess that's one thing you couldn't say about it. Um, but at the same time, I think there still are um, kind of problems with the way it's, it's put together. And I think you really said it well about have, not having, you know, you don't have enough to give after a while. Um, well, it's an interesting question because I think, yeah. I think that on, on the one thing I will say um, about Nadine Labaki is I think she brings a tremendous amount of, Certainly authenticity, which is what you started to talk about, but also tremendous, I think, sensitivity. And she's an actress, and so her ability to work with, with these kids first and foremost, and and find and develop these really like sharply drawn characters. Right. Um, and and she's inhabiting in this movie a world that that certainly I know nothing about, and I'm bringing like fresh eyes to these experiences. Right. Um, I think in a lot of ways, for me, she's holding it together, and I think where where the movie struggles is in 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 trying. And this is the this is the balance that a, that a director mm-hmm. 
clearly struggles with at times, right. any filmmaker would struggle with, and we can talk about this, this in the context of other movies as well, yeah. uh, is sort of when to show your hand and when to sort of just pull it away entirely mm -hmm. and let, you have such amazing characters in this movie yeah. that, that can do so much um, yeah. that that you almost, there, you don't need to necessarily use all the tools right. in, the, in the cinematic toolbox to trigger the responses yeah. that I think are already like right there for your audience. And, and it's, a, it's an adjustment that I, I don't know how one can always make sort right. of in the isolation of making a movie in an edit room, you know, in the days leading up to con. Right. And, and, and we'll see if the version that we saw this week is the same version that we see or that people listening to this will see, uh, you know, seven months from now. Yeah, that's true. Yeah. That's, that's definitely another kind of con phenomenon. Uh, uh, you know, that happened last year with you were never really here definitely got some re-reviews from you know people i respect where they liked it more the second time around so you know there's always a chance of, of, of significant changes like that uh, going on and also i think there's a chance that even just a movie like this when it sits for a while uh for a week or two when you're outside of of the, the you know the the whatever what's it called the hot house of the uh the greenhouse i don't know the hot house of of <laughs> of of, of can that, that you might think about it a bit differently once but the greenhouse has been burned down has been burnt down right yeah then you can uh well let's not go to the end of that movie <laughs> i'll just a little before then for those uh, who listened yesterday yes you'll know what that's, that's, that's yes while we're here reporting from the croissette those who aren't with us can still enjoy the films of can Mubi is presenting a fantastic lineup of favorites from past years of the festival. Now showing on Mubi is Andrei Tarkovsky's Nostalgia. Made in exile from the USSR, Nostalgia is a uniquely personal masterwork that stands with his best. Winner of Best Director at Cannes, an honor he shared with Robert Brisson. Discover this along with 29 other hand-picked films streaming right now on Mubi for free. Just go to mubi.com slash film comment to claim your extended 30-day free trial. The Film Comment Podcast is sponsored by Kino Lorber, presenting Bruno Forzani and Hélène Cattat's Let the Corpses Tan. In this homage to 1970s Italian crime films, complete with music by Ennio Morricone, cops and robbers engage in an all-day firefight on the cliffs of the Mediterranean. Screen International calls it a, quote, meticulously executed, obsessively stylized exercise in genre worship. You almost expect to see Dario Argento or Mario Bava's name on the credits. End quote. Let the Corpses Tan opens August 31st at Quad Cinema and Alamo Drafthouse before expanding to select cities. The Autograph Collection Indie Film Project celebrates the synergy between independent film and autograph collection hotels. Indie filmmakers and screenwriters tell stories that inspire and connect us. And at Autograph Collection Hotels, storytelling is in our DNA, enabling travelers to connect with each other and places around the world in a memorable way. This dynamic cultural program is anchored in three key programs, screenwriters in residency, free indie films streamed at hotels throughout the U.S. and Canada, a portfolio of beautiful hotels and key film festival destinations. Learn more by visiting autographcollectionhotels.com. Autograph collection hotels, exactly like nothing else. But uh, an another movie, and you know, probably no accident of, of, of programming. I would I would think a little uh, that is treating you know similar kind of subject uh, in terms of you know someone really struggling against all odds was shown today in uh, the competition as well. 
and that is Aika, the new movie by Sergei Dvorsvoy. Uh, and he directed Tulpan, which was kind of a minor, as, as far as it goes, art house hit. I remember film form. It's one of those things where your your parents' friends are always saying, "Oh, I love that movie." You know, I I, I saw Tulpan. If your no. parents know, if your parents' friends yeah. know about it, not just yeah. your parents, that's right, because they might be reading what you're writing. That's right. If your parents' <laughs> friends know about it, yeah. Yeah, that's that's when you know you've you've achieved you crossed some. into minor success. That's right, to some sort of success. So I mean, as far as it goes within those circles, um, I mean, you know, this is anticipated as well in a different way, uh, and very different approach in this movie. The story here uh, is a young woman is just struggling to make ends meet, and and when we we start out, she's just given birth. And she really doesn't know if she can handle that on top of everything else. Uh, so, you know, very quickly, she just flees. Uh, she flees the hospital, leaves behind her baby. and But she's not fleeing, and then it's just, you know, going cross-country to get away from it all or something. She's fleeing, and then immediately goes to work, which is kind of one of the most amazing and, and, and transitions that I've seen. Uh, and then the whole movie is just about her, you know, trying to you know, make money, trying to keep a job, not lose a job, keep her housing, avoid debtors, and, you know, one thing after another, all while I'm sure just, like, processing still the trauma of leaving behind your baby, um, as well as the kind of physical effects of, that she's dealing with as well. And at first she's very sick. It's, uh, yeah, not a, uh, not a pretty picture. Uh, and it's all shot in this highly claustrophobic, handheld, you know, Darden-esque uh, approach where you're just she's in the center of the frame you're rarely out of her physical space or her head space in, in a way and so you just can't escape you and also you don't really know what's around the next corner as a result uh, and, and a lot of times someone's just yelling at her to do something off screen uh, and that's just kind of her life uh, and, but she has this drive and this determination to continue um, and I liked it uh, for what that's worth and uh, it's it's rough going. I don't, I don't even know that it was that explicitly brutal, but it was still an, an, a bit of an endurance test. Like the characters in Cafarnum, the woman, it's her name, I, Ica, Ica, okay, okay. Um, is, is like in the previous film that we were discussing, she's, she's in a really precarious situation. And the, you said it so well. I mean, the fact that she's, she gives birth in the opening moments of this movie and within the next few you know moments she's off out and in back into her world because she's facing a really precarious and challenging situation that involves money that she needs to pay back mm-hmm. she's an immigrant she does she she may or may not be properly documented um and it, it it she has working papers that are expiring or maybe have just expired um and she she owes money to some thugs who she borrowed money from to try to start a business and she's and she's in physical trauma, and you, to use the word you used uh, from the birth, which didn't go exactly as planned. So she's dealing with 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 that, and so you're immediately thrown into this world, just as she is thrown back into her own world, back into the reality of trying to survive. And as with Kefernum, um it's disorienting at first to try to figure out what are the motivations and realities of this parent who's had to make what can only be characterized as 
the most severe decision of her life, probably up to that point, as we also see in the previous film, where you're forced to separate yourself from your, your child. And, and why? And the difference in this movie is that it's, first of all, I don't think there's a musical note in the film. If right. there are, they're very yeah. subtle. Yeah. Uh, no, no, <laughs> definitely not any kind of score. Yeah. And it's, it's, a, it's an entirely spare um, reality. It's an entirely sparse reality without any of those kinds of triggers. And, and as you said, the, the use of the, the camera literally like kind of right over her shoulder or just right behind yeah. her. Yeah. And she's, she's inhabiting these really tight spaces, the place yeah. she lives with people sort of sleeping everywhere, you know, I don't know how many people like looks like 25 people sleeping in this tiny apartment in little corners and spaces. Yeah. Um, it's like her, her, her whole life is that documentary dark days. Yeah. <laughs> the one about living under, in, under the, in the New York, under the subway, under the, or the, the Amtrak. It just feels like she's moving from one underground. Even when she's outside, it's like, you feel like she's scurrying, you know, like, like a mouse or something from one hidden space to another. And every time the phone rings, you know, there's like right. peril and danger on the other end of that phone line yeah. to the point where she like, burns that line and tries to get a new phone line hoping that will sort of give her space and it actually doesn't yeah um but there are some threads that that, that connect these two films in sort of the worlds that they're exploring and and the sort of you know abandonment of kids and the pressure of documentation and immigration and yet they're told with such different completely different approaches yeah. i mean you know that's 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 a really productive Assuming it was, you know, voluntary, a very productive thing to put these two movies next to each other in, in a kind of showcase because, yeah, I guess there is a politics of, of their aesthetics that, that you have to kind of acknowledge, I think, just in the sense of Ica is used, is a, it's kind of a festival film in the sense it's using a pretty ratified format you know it's dardenesque it's very successful and good at that and uh, i've heard it compared to rosetta it's interesting because that's that's a form that's kind of gone in and out and in in and out of fashion in a way but it's still kind of a recognized way of approaching you know miserable reality but it's also been something that's kind of gets criticized as miserableist at a certain point and in kind of routine um Capernaum is you know I thought that you could describe parts of it as kind of operatic just in the sense that which has become a kind of a critical cliche as well but just in the sense of the music mm-hmm. um really like um yeah um kind of being a voice for the the misery. Uh, I don't know. Maybe that's one other way of of putting it. Well, it raises a question, I think, a really good question. And I think you're, you're, you're right on, which is that it raises this question of like, uh, uh, how, how does an artist transport an audience to a place that, that is very likely Mm -hmm. incredibly foreign to them, even if it's not foreign to the artist Uh, and what are the tools and, and approaches that the artist uses to, immerse an audience in that experience and in the case of these two films they're taking completely different approaches to explore uh situations that that have some connection but that are absolutely extreme and given the nature of who art house audiences are most likely going to be completely foreign and perhaps completely unknown and maybe that's part of the reason for making the film sometimes Mm -hmm. uh, but completely unknown to the audience watching it yeah Uh, and and the choices that you make uh, and the approaches that you take couldn't be more different than in these two films. And yet, yeah. and yet I wonder to, I was thinking about to what extent is there an, is there a similarity in the aims of mm. 
the author. Mm-hmm. Um, so you think do you think the two of them, the two directors have different kind of aims? I'm wondering about it. This is mm-hmm. my, this is what I'm thinking about, and yeah. I haven't read. I have yet to read any of the like interviews or or or. Yeah. Um, I didn't watch the press conferences for each of these yeah. either of these films, so I'm curious to learn more. And it's one of those things that, as a film, now leaves this festival and you know yeah. the next day or two, and and whatever happens with the awards yeah. as it goes out into the world, then we start learning more about. And as it goes into other festivals and into distribution in other parts of the world, you start learning more about the vantage point and where the director comes from and what their perspective is and what their, yeah. what their goal was in trying to tell that story. Yeah. I, I don't say this as a, as a way, as a way to, to be critical of, I mean, critical, yes, but not in the negative sense of, of Capernaum. I mean, I guess it's fairly openly like a social justice movie in, 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 in terms of those, those goals. And it's, it's, so it's, that's kind of, and it's using, probably using, you know the music and and the premise as if it's like a knockout premise um and the only thing about a premise like that is that if you keep repeating it as the only hook into the movie i think it ends up obscuring some of the movie and uh so and, and even having a kid like that who's virtually like a star turn you know because he's almost he exceeds where he is you know he's like he's like you know almost too cool for the movie for a movie you know uh so that's what that one feels like and like for this divorce boy I don't know, you, you might call it a bit ethnographic, his interest a little bit, just mm-hmm. that he wants this this very vivid slice of this of an immig- immigrant's life, totally unvarnished. But, you know, it's it's just as, as much literary. Because the funny thing about a realism like a camera-based handheld one like that is that it ends up going into something else. It ends up becoming like expressionistic in a way because just the, the feel of it is so intensified. Uh, you know, it's um, it's it's not... It's it's no longer um, some sort of facsimile of where she's seeing and what she's doing. Uh, it, it the reality is just so brutal. It, it begins to feel warped, mm-hmm. and it gets to some other level. And and he clearly has some clear. He has some connection. He likes to draw between people and animals. <laughs> probably consistent with Tulpan, uh, which happens. He sets this up. He has this opening shot, which I don't want to spoil because it's a great opening shot that just bowls you over, um, and then. It just uh, does a callback to that at the end, uh, which kind of connects people with the animal world. Well, animals play a really big role in, in yeah. or a key role in in Ica. He makes a point in the film of showing you how the animals that inhabit this this part of Moscow, uh, where Ica lives, have a much better existence. <laughs> And it's yeah. it's 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 drawn to a very fine point at one moment in the film, a much better existence and a much better level of health care, for lack of a better word, um, than immigrants coming from outside of the country. And it's a fine point. It's it's hard to miss that point. And yet it's one that really is telling. Yeah. And I don't know how far we can go with this should go with describing it. But but she ends up. Ambling into a part-time job that involves um, caring for some animals. I yeah, guess. I mean, we could say it's a vet. Yeah, she works she's, for a vet. She's cleaning floors and vet. mopping yeah, yeah. up the excrement and yeah. blood of of sick animals who are brought into this veterinary by their, you know, probably wealthy, certainly much wealthier than her. Yeah, um, they sit, certainly look untroubled. Most Russians, of them. <laughs> yeah. who who yes, uh, who who are. Uh, untroubled financially, perhaps the, the, the perhaps very troubled by the state of their pet when they walk in the door, as anybody might be. Yeah. But um, but she's you know she's really the lowest on that totem pole, and she's 
she personally feels lucky to have that job for the few days that she does just yeah. to try to make money to pay back the guys that she borrowed money from. But it's but it's a it's a clear distinction that's made about her her value in life and yeah. that of the pets of these rich richer uh, Russians. Yeah, he he doesn't he doesn't let you off the hook, the director, when yeah. he does that, yeah. and he's also not letting you off the hook in how you feel about what you're seeing on screen. I think that that's that's an, that's an, that's also interesting about that the vet office scenes because you do catch yourself, you know. <laughs> feeling sorry for these animals and then you know it's a kind of a classic move where it's then like why just a second ago was i slightly impatient with the relentless camera work that they're following her through her travails and then you just feel like a jerk uh, of course but that's a good feeling because you know you, you have to kind of think about you know why, why you're feeling and, and when uh, sometimes and that's i don't know that was kind of effective for me you know i agree um so that's the, which is know. a direct link to another movie we're going to oh, talk about. Yeah, very well, in a, in a, well in a, played, in a, Eugene. Yes, <laughs> the movie is called Dog Man yes. by Matteo Garone, and you're so good at describing them. But <laughs> okay, <laughs> um, I'll do it. I'm a little long-winded, but I can do it. But it, but it's it's uh, okay. set in in Matteo's native Italy, also a bleak place. <laughs> also a bleak place. Yeah, uh, it's it's about a guy who. He, you know, grooms pets. He's a pet groomer, and that's the name of his shop. Is Dogman? The title above the door. <laughs> the title above is Dogman. Is Dogman? Dog uh, and in, in, yeah, in English. Um, and so yeah, he just has you know regular clients come in for clippings and blow dryings and that sort of thing, uh, including a very picturesque Great Dane, uh, who just looks impossibly enormous, um, and. Uh, but he's also in a neighborhood that's kind of has its is run by a, a small you know g- gangster I, I don't want to use the the, the m word but uh they're gangsters and there's a kind of head gangster who's you know real hothead uh the people in town are even getting sick of him um and he also happens to have this kind of sadomasochistic relationship with Dogman, uh you know where he says little buddy basically uh and so uh drug dealer drug dealer yeah he's his drug dealer well that's true that's true i actually forgot about that i forgot to mention that Dogman <laughs> has a side well it's not it's there's not enough money in in in, in dog grooming in pet pets. grooming in this rather bleak yeah formerly maybe viable coastal town in italy which is now yeah pretty darn dilapidated it is yeah it is coastal there's there's a lot of very depressing like amusement park leftovers and Dogman has a daughter that he's got to care for that's that right. he's that he's trying to provide for and yeah. there's not enough money coming from the grooming so he's got a side <laughs> business at least peddling drugs to this one yeah uh, maybe it's also a kind of a, a protection money to sort of that's keep true. himself uh safe from this this thug-ish dude who's like yeah. running the who, who or thinks he's running kind of the business in in the kind of the casino around the corner right and a few of the other businesses yeah in town yeah um and so i mean needless to say that relationship is volatile <laughs> and i guess that's that's kind of this the springboard for for what happens as he gets you know drawn into a into a scheme that then has side effects and uh you know begins to think whether he needs to stand up for himself a bit. Um, um, I mean, he does have some pleasant moments in his life, mostly centered on uh, his daughter and um, trips they take, scuba he's, diving. He seems very happy. In yeah. the, the, the moment he seems happiest, I think, is when he's grooming this 
very uh, pretty poodle at a local <laughs> dog show That's where very he, sweet. he yeah. wins a prize maybe for his expert grooming yeah. uh, thanks to some tips from his daughter yeah. uh, to sort of uh, final touches on the, the poodle to sort of get Great. that dog to the right moment, to the right, uh, the hair, right level of puff. hair life. Um, but again, uh, an absolutely or a strikingly bleak, uh, scenario, strikingly bleak bleak setting, um, for a character who's struggling to make ends meet and, and, and in, in many moments sort of looks like he's about to sort of crack and he's trying to hold together so he doesn't become and maybe at one point he does, but he's aiming to, right. to avoid becoming the parent that we see portrayed in some of these other films. Yeah. Uh, he's trying to hold on to a bond with his daughter yeah. that is is tenuous. Yeah. I guess in some ways he's kind of a quintessential little guy. He's the little guy, you know, trying to... And he has good relations with, you know, the other people in town, with his neighbor who runs a We Buy Gold shop. Mm-hmm. Um, and the way the movie looks, I mean, it's kind of stylized in, in the look of things. It looks a little s- slick. Um, you know, there's this kind of... I was trying to... I was thinking when I was watching this, it's somewhere between, like, you know, skim milk blue and, like, gunmetal blue sort of just just sheen that's somehow on stuff. You'd, you know, recognize it if you, if you saw it. And, I, I mean, you can trace... You can understand this director also made Gamora or something like that or, or you know, reality, which he also did. And to get down to business about it, I, I was kind of bored by this movie. Uh, I mean, it sets you up, I'd, I'd have to say, in a way that that I don't think Ica ultimately does. And I don't think Caparnum sets you up in, in, in that same way. It does something else that we've, we've talked about. But it's just that um, it's just more starkly structured around a guy having this life that he's clinging to. And then, you know, there's, I mean, within like 30 seconds, you know, he, he changes um, and his life changes. And, you know, you can argue that that happens. Um, but it just it just seems to lean too heavily on that kind of hair trigger idea. Um, I, I don't know. It just seems overly engineered. Well, he's, he's a character who um, we're, we're led to believe, especially in the beginning of the movie, that he sort of has done a, an OK job of sort of keeping his head down. And right. he's a little guy, as you mentioned, like he's slight yeah. of frame and the local tough guy that he's sort of friends with and dealing drugs to is the opposite so they look standing next to each other they they portray quite a you know sort of (laughs) absolutely (laughs) kind of dog uh, manager duo yeah um and so it seems like for a long time he's been able to keep his head down and figure out a way to keep the local um mobster at bay by getting drugs for him um and and he's sort of been able to carve out a delicately balanced existence if not like super successful existence like he's still barely surviving probably and he's uh, you know struggling to to provide for his kid um and yet he's doing that until he can't any longer and and situation changes dramatically on a dime as you suggested and suddenly the balance is thrown and he's faced with some really tough decisions and maybe he makes some bad choices and it all, yeah. It all kind of goes bad, yeah. Uh, very quickly, Each, yeah. It just felt over, over, overworked or over, over, over planned somehow. And and I have to say, like, even there's just something about about him and then the way you know he's 
his hair is styled and just his, his general kind of demeanor. I mean, you just kind of know from the beginning that he's he's going to be a bit a bit of an outcast somehow just from the way that he, he has bangs, you know, <laughs> just the way he's got these. I mean, it's, you know, it, you almost think it's going to turn out that he's going to start to be a serial killer. So spoiler, he's not a serial killer, but there's just a, there's a hint of something in there. You're already like, ah, okay. Uh, and I don't know. Uh, so it's, it's a little, little disappointing in, in, in that regard. It, it's interesting what, because now that we talk about all three of these movies, mm-hmm. um, which inhabit some similarities or there's a, there's a connection we can find sometimes yeah. very literal and obvious and sometimes more subtle. Um, and we think about the programming of the festival. I watched Dogman on the same day that I went to Cannes Classics and watched Bicycle Thieves, the De Sica film from 48. And again, with that movie, and, and I hadn't seen it in a really long time, and I don't think I'd ever seen it all the way through on a big screen. I think when I saw it, it UCLA back in school like it was on a in a class like I watched part of it on screen in class and then I watched the rest of it on like a VHS or something but having that movie before watching the three we've just talked about really has has left me thinking a lot about what I was talking about earlier which is just so what are the tools that an artist use uses uh, to try to convey and also portray and provoke an audience to connect with a reality and, and it made me wonder how, and I have to really go back and read some scholarship, maybe in film comments somewhere, maybe you know, <laughs> uh, but, but wonder, like, how was De Sica viewed in his time, in his day, or how has he been, been, been viewed since then um, for the choices that he made, um, which could be analyzed in the context of what we're talking about in these three films. And it's, again, interesting that the festival chose to kind of for that movie to exist in the the same moment of the festival that these other movies also exist. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, can't help but think about that. Yeah, no, that's that's it's really it's it's a really really apt uh, com- com- comparison and apt uh, you know uh, observation of the grouping there. And and I'm I'm pretty sure that Capernaum will be partly you know if if not partly framed or presented as as relating to that tradition of, of neorealism and. The you know the the, the apparent allowability of sentiment in, in neorealism that we all uh, accept and praise and hold up as this major point in uh, in film history um, and it's, I mean it is it'll be interesting to see how it plays out with uh, with this film um, yeah whereas Ica goes in another direction is familiar in a different way I mean even like. Russia is like an awful place <laughs> where everyone's awful to each other, mostly uh, in, in the films is, is also has its own rich tradition. Um, and yeah, and then and Dogman has its own cultural background, I guess, something like Bicycle Thieves coming post-war and, you know, uh, really the, the hardships after that of, of just, you know, making do. Um, but yeah, it's it's only history will tell. Uh, but I, I, I do. We've been talking. About, I, I just feel like this is something I'm not going to solve right now. So I think it's, it's, it's out there. It's and out we'll, there yeah. <laughs> to um, be discussed. I mean, further. but but I really admire bringing that up because it does force us to, like I was, you know, saying, getting towards a bit, thinking about how we're feeling about things, and evaluating our evaluations. Basically, mm-hmm. you know, like 
things going out of fashion, whether or not we, we acknowledge it. And things, some get, things get canonized, other things don't. And we should be constantly thinking and rethinking about that. I mean, I'll, I will stand behind you, realism. Um, but uh, <laughs> but uh, yeah, you know, it's, it's, it's important to keep on questioning what, what you think and feel a little think um uh, you know there's still a couple more (laughs) to go but you have to end at some point uh just like a movie there has to be an end at some point um but uh we thank you for listening uh and thank you so much eugene for coming on the program nick thank you congratulations (laughs) <laughs> uh, and um, I don't know that whether that was the end of your whole podcast career at at Cannes 2018 or whether that was the whether there's another one tomorrow maybe we don't know yet it's a cliffhanger autograph collection hotels are carefully chosen for their unique design passion for craft and an inherent connection to the locale each hotel has its own exactly like nothing else story to tell the Autograph Collection Indie Film Project supports independent film and celebrates the power of storytelling to inspire and connect people and places by leaving a lasting imprint. Autograph Collection Hotels, exactly like nothing else. The Film Comment Podcast is sponsored by Kino Lorber, presenting Bruno Forzani and Helene Cadet's Let the Corpses Tan, a deliriously stylish homage to 1970s Italian crime films soaked with blood, sun, and sex. Featuring music by Ennio Morricone in theaters starting August 31st. Don't forget to check out Nostalgia, now streaming on Mubi. Claim your extended 30-day free trial at mubi.com slash filmcomment. That's M-U-B-I dot com slash filmcomment.